anyway. The pen is mightier than the sword. Now, at first you think, no, no way the pen's mightier than the sword. Yeah, it really is. Because we know from history that there really isn't anything more powerful in a way than words. As a matter of fact, when speakers or writers are really trying to get your attention, or they want to sound smart or make an impact, they'll often search for large or, or, or very complex words. And I got to thinking not too long ago that some of the most life-changing, powerful words you can ever hear or you can ever say in the English language are some of the smallest words. I want to share with you one word that packs maybe the most punch of any word you could utter. It's a three-letter word, B-U-T. But have you ever thought about just how powerful and how life-changing that can be? That little word thrown into a sentence can change your entire life. It can change your entire perspective on a certain situation. For example, yes, your daughter was in a terrible automobile accident, but she's okay. Changes everything. Yes, there's a spot on your lung, but it's not cancerous. Yes, we have completed your audit by the IRS, but... The government owes you money. Yes, Florida did attempt a last-second field goal to beat Georgia, but the kicker missed. So everything, just that one little word, but. It's amazing how it can change your perspective, and it's amazing how it can change your life. That little, those little two words, yes, but. It's a classic way of seeming like you agree, but you really don't. Because that little word, but, effectively says that what does seem to sound true and, and what has been said sound true, in the end, it's not completely true or it's not finally true. And it's a great way to acknowledge a negative while emphasizing the positive. For example, yes, that wasn't your best effort, but I know you can do better. Yes, so you really messed up there. You really fouled it up, but you can learn from your mistake and move on. Yes, I know this project is extremely difficult and complex, but I know you can do it and I know you can succeed. Makes all the difference. So we're gonna begin a series that I'm really pumped about, I have to be honest with you. It's, it's, we're calling it Yes, But. And let me tell you why I'm so excited. I don't know that you will hear anything from this platform that will be more practical and more relevant and more encouraged than what you're going to hear over the next several weeks. Because let me give you an example. I'm going to throw some statements up on the screen, and I want you to participate in this. And if you agree with the statement I'm going to throw up there, I want you out loud just to say yes. Okay, so we're going to throw some statements up there. If you agree with these statements, I want you to say yes. You ready? Here we go. Life is not always fair. Yes. Right does not always prevail. Yeah. Justice is not always done. Yes. Things do not always go as they should. If you do the crime, you have to pay the time. Yep. Sometimes you pay the time even if you didn't do the crime. Yes. And sometimes you get wronged for doing what's right. Yeah. Now, for most of us, at least one of those statements is not just a statement we agree with or we believe. You know what some of you just said at one of those statements? Hey, I'm living that right now. That's my life. That's where I am. Do I ever know in my heart, brother, that really is true? 
Or if you're not living it, you have lived it. Or if you haven't lived it, you will live it. And yet we're going to learn today that because of God, those sentences are not finished until you read what comes behind that little word, but. So today we're going to look at a man who repeatedly did the time even though he didn't do the crime. As a matter of fact, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's one of the most amazing stories in all of the Bible. But, and, and I think it's one of the greatest stories in all of history. Because right in the middle of all that he went through, this man could look at the people who were responsible and who put him in the position he was in, who left him holding the short end of the stick. This man could look back at what happened to him, even though it was completely unfair, totally unjust, he could look at the people who did it to him and make one of the most amazing statements in all of the Bible. Now, I want to show it to you. If you brought a copy of God's Word or you want to look on a smart pad or a smartphone or an iPad or whatever it is that you use, I want you to turn to the very first book of the Bible. I want you to turn to the last chapter. It's Genesis chapter 50. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 50. I'm going to read a sentence to you, and believe it or not, it's not only one of the greatest things I've ever read anywhere in the Bible or any other book, but it really, if you wanted to know, be honest, it really does kind of summarize what the entire Bible is all about. If you said to me, hey, can you kind of give me the Bible in one kind of one sentence? It would, it would really, I wouldn't do a bad job if I said, you know what? If you'll understand the sentence we're about to read, this really is the story of the entire Bible. This is what he said. You intended to harm me. What's that word? But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, if you're not familiar with this man's story, let me just kind of give you kind of a little uh, Wikipedia recap. Okay, we're not going to go into all the details, but this is kind of a Wikipedia version of this man's life. This man's name is Joseph. If you've not heard of him, that's why we call him Joe. His name is Joseph. His story begins when he's 17 years old. He grew up in this dysfunctional family that kind of looked like an episode of Sister Wives, okay? Um, his dad fathered 13 children by four different mothers. Two of those women were his wives, and two of those women were his mistresses. He had 11 brothers and one sister. A 10 out of the 11 brothers hated his guts, 10 out of 11 brothers absolutely could not stand him from the time he came into the family because they were actually not his brothers. They were his half-brothers. He only had one full brother born to the same mother. And so any of you have ever experienced any sibling rivaling in your family, you kind of know what Thanksgiving was like at Joseph's house, right? It really wasn't real pleasant, and there wasn't a lot of Thanksgiving going on. Now, his mother was his dad's favorite woman, and Joseph was his father's favorite son. That didn't help matters any, and to make matters worse, his dad always gave him the best clothes. His dad always gave him the best chariot. His dad always gave him the best sandals. He had the best of everything. And then to top it off, even though he's really down the food chain in terms of how old he is, he makes him the supervisor over all of his brothers. Then to top it all off, God gives Joseph a dream one day, and God lets him know, one day you're going to rule over your brothers. One day you're going to rule over your father. Well, the problem is with that is, like some politicians, Joseph couldn't keep his mouth shut. So he tells his brothers about this dream, and that did not endear him to them at all. Now the story really gets ugly because the brothers had been sent off about 70 miles away to do some work for their dad. 
And so the dad sends Joseph out to make sure they're getting the work done and to make sure everything's all right. When they see Joseph approaching, they hatch this scheme to kill him. And they're about to take his life, but one brother finally stands up and says, look, I know we don't like him, I know we can't stand him, but at least he is our half-brother. And as a matter of fact, he's his real brother. We really can't do this. So at the last minute, they decide to throw him into a pit until they could decide what to do with him. Well, about that time, this caravan comes along that's headed to Egypt. And so they sell their brother, you ready for this, for 20 pieces of silver. They sell their half-brother for 20 pieces of silver to these human traffickers. Then they go home and make up this story to their dad about how a wild animal had come and had killed Joseph, and they took this multicolored coat that Joseph had. It was kind of his pride and joy, and they spilled animal blood on it and said, see, here it is. It wasn't our fault, Father, but some animal killed him. Of course, his father grieved, and his father cried and broke his heart. And so you think, boy, that's a terrible story. Well, the problem is for Joseph, things go from bad to worse. He gets to Egypt. And he is sold to a man named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar is a very influential part of the administration of Pharaoh. He's a very well-to-do man. He owns this big plantation. And so he, Joseph comes into his work as just an ordinary menial slave. But it wasn't long until Joseph proved he had a lot of talent. He had a lot of ability. And he was a good, good young man. And so Potiphar puts him in charge over the whole plantation. He puts him in charge over the other slaves. He puts him in charge over all the hired help. He kind of makes Joseph his right-hand guy. And Joseph does a fantastic job managing this man's affairs. Well, unfortunately, Potiphar is married to this hot mama. And she's kind of a desperate housewife. And she takes this liking to young Joseph. And so she kind of starts pulling the Victoria's Secret come on, right? And, and, and you know, let's give them something to talk about kind of a thing. And, and so Joseph, you know, he, he refuses. He's a good man. He loves God. He's walking with the Lord. There's no way he's going to do this to his master. And so she does everything she can to get him into the, into the bed. He says, nope, I'm not doing this. Well, now you know, you know the fury of a woman scorned. She's hot. She's upset. She's embarrassed. She can't believe that this young man is refusing, you know, this beautiful thing that's standing in front of him. So he, one day she said she's, she's going to actually force him to go to bed with her. So she grabs him by the coat. Joseph is so afraid, he runs away, and he leaves his coat behind. Well, that's all she needs. She rips her dress, and she holds up the coat. Potiphar comes home. She says, what kind of hired help do you have? Can't believe this young man tried to rape me. What happens to Joseph? Does he get a fair trial? Nope. Does he get a chance to present his side of the story? Nope. Immediately, he's thrown into jail with murderers and rapists and robbers and killers and thieves for something he didn't even do. As a matter of fact, not for doing the wrong thing, but doing the right thing. And for 13 years, he languishes in a prison. So now Joseph has gone from the pit to the plantation to the prison. And he still hasn't done one thing wrong. He hasn't broken any law whatsoever. Through no fault of his own, he's gone from the penthouse to the outhouse. But the story doesn't end there. Because he meets this man in prison. And through a series of events, this man is hired later on to go to work in the, 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 the um, family and the household of Pharaoh. 
Well, Pharaoh has this dream. It's a bad dream. It's a terrible dream. He knows it's a bad dream, and it's a very frightening dream, but he doesn't know what the dream means. And so he, he brings all these magicians in and all these fortune tellers in, and he says, tell me what the dream means, but nobody can tell him what the dream means. And all of a sudden, this man that had met Joseph years ago in prison said, hey, I met this guy named Joseph, and I can't explain it, but this Joseph worships this God, and he, re he, he, he actually... Um, uh, interpreted a dream for me, which actually helped me get to where I am today. You might want to check him out. So sure enough, Pharaoh says, look, I've got nothing to lose. So they send for Joseph. Joseph, they give him a shower. They put on a fresh suit of clothes. They shave him. They cut his hair. He walks into Pharaoh. He's, Pharaoh tells him the problem. And I mean, just like that, Joseph interprets the dream. He tells him of, of coming famine. He tells him how to handle the famine. Pharaoh is so impressed by this young man. On the spot, now listen to this. On the spot, he says, hey, how would you like to be the prime minister of Egypt? And what do you think Joseph said? I have nothing else to do. I would be more than happy to take that job. And I mean, just like that, now he's out of the outhouse in the real penthouse, and he is now the right-hand man to the most powerful person in the world. Now we fast forward a few years later. Through a series of events, guess who he meets up with? His brothers. And here he is face to face with these men that had caused all of this heartache to begin with. Yeah, yes, his brothers who sold him to human traffickers. Yes, because of them he became a slave in a rich man's household. Yes, he was falsely accused of rape and condemned to prison for 13 years because of them. Because of them, yes, he spent 13 years in a prison he didn't even do to deserve to be there. Yes, life wasn't fair to Joseph. Yes, he paid the time, but he didn't do the crime. Yes, he was left holding the short end of the stick. But then, two small, three Letter words changed everything. But God. But God. Yes, you did that. Yes, you hurt me. Yes, you wanted to kill me. Yes, you got me in prison. Yes, you got me falsely accused. Yes, you put me through hell in my life. But God moved. And what I want to share with you this, this is why this is going to be one of the most encouraging messages you ever, you're ever going to hear in your life. What God did for Joseph, God is doing for you. The same God that moved in his life is moving in your life. The same God that took care of Joseph is a God that is taking care of you. And there are three things that God did for Joseph that God is doing for you. And I don't care how bad things may be in your life. I don't care how terrible things may be. I don't care how short the stick is you're holding. You've got to believe in the three things I'm going to share with you today because if you will, for some of you, you're going to leave your bitterness behind. You're going to leave your regrets behind. You're going to leave your anger behind. You're going to quit living in the past and start living in the present and looking forward to the future. What did God do for Joseph that he's doing for us? All right, write this down. Three things real quick. Number one, God is achieving his plan in my life. God is achieving his plan in my life. Now, let me just try to take you back to this story. This was not the first time that Joseph had used those two words, but God, with his brothers. Because a few chapters earlier, when he and his brothers had first been reunited, and by the way, he recognized them, they didn't recognize him. And the first time they were reunited, they were confronted with all they had done to Joseph. 
And they began to be afraid because they said, oh, no, we can't believe it. What's he going to do to us? Joseph said something to them twice. Listen to what he said. But God sent me ahead of you. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Because remember, let's go back to the beginning. This all started when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And all of a sudden, Joseph is looking at his brothers, and he said, listen, relax. Don't be afraid. I'm not angry. Why not, Joseph? Because you sold me, but God sent me. See, those two words, but God, changed everything. Their plan was to eliminate Joseph. God's plan was to elevate Joseph. Their plan was to lower Joseph into a pit. God's plan was to lift Joseph into a palace. Their plan was to, de to desert Joseph. God's plan was to deliver Joseph. Their plan was to sell Joseph out. God's plan was to pick Joseph up. And that's why Joseph could say to them, yes, you intended to harm me. That was what you wanted to do. But God intended it for good. Now, I don't know what you've gone through in your life. And I don't know what you're going through in your life. And I certainly don't know what you will go through in your life. And I'm not trying to make light of whatever it is you may be going through. I don't know how unfairly you've been treated. I don't know how unjust your circumstances are. I don't know what kind of hand you've been dealt. But let me tell you what I do know right now. What I do know right now, if you'll listen, here's what God is saying to you right now. Everything is going according to my plan. Everything. There's nothing out there happening to you that I haven't planned for. Because think about this. Think about this. Every time Joseph thought his life was over, God was just getting started. See, when God seems far away in your life, and that's where some of you are right now, you think God is so far away. Where is God? I don't hear him. I don't see him. I can't feel him. When God seems far away in your life, you know where he is? He's right next door. When you can't see God, that's okay. God's moving. When you can't hear God, that's okay. God is speaking. By, by the way, let me just say something. I want to make sure you understand what I'm not saying and, and, and what Joseph was not saying. This verse does not say, and the Bible does not say, and I do not say, that all things that happen to you are good because they're not. Joseph's being thrown in a pit was not good. His being falsely accused was not good. He's being in prison for 13 years. It wasn't good. His enslavement wasn't good. Your spouse walking out on you, that's not good. You're being left holding the bag, that's not good. You're being talked about and, and, and slandered unfairly. That's not good. I'm not saying that at all. So what you're going through right now may not be good, but what this verse says is this. Whatever is happening to you, doesn't matter. What others may mean for evil, God will take it and turn it into your good. Because that's God's plan for your life. God's plan for you is not what's bad. God's plan for you is what is good. God's plan for you is not what is wrong. God's plan for you is what is right. See, here's the good news. Here's what I want you to hear. God never has to say, well, that wasn't in the script. God never has to say, wow, I didn't see that coming. God never has to say, oh, man, boy, did I not prepare for that. Listen, listen to me. With God... Everything is in the script, everything. 
In the movie of your life, there are going to be valleys and there are going to be deserts. In the movie of your life, there's going to be bad times and there are going to be bad things. But here's what God has promised. When the movie ends and the credits roll, it will all be for your good. God never has to look for plan B. You know why God never has to look for plan B? Can anybody tell me why? Because plan A always works out. God never has to look for plan B. God has one plan for your life. It's called plan A, and plan A always works out. You know, there are three things I've learned that God uses to achieve his plans for my life. I bet you found the same thing. Listen to this. One thing he uses is pain. We don't like it, but he does. Another thing he uses is problems. And the third thing he uses are people. Those are the three things that God uses to achieve things in my life. He uses pain. He uses problems. He uses people. Now, let's be honest. You know why I put them in that order? Because people cause problems and they cause you a pain in the neck. Right? People are always the source really of the problem. You can almost trace all your problems back to somebody or something. So we've got these things they cause problems. But God says, even the bad things of life are my plan. And ultimately for the good in your life. Now, let's, can we just take the obvious? Let me just tell you something you might not have ever thought about. Because here's, here, here's, here's what we sometimes wonder about. Here's why we sometimes question God. I want to ask you a question. If God is all-powerful and God is all-knowing and God is perfect, then would you agree with this? Could God have prevented his brothers from selling Joseph to those slave traders? Could he have done that? Yeah. Could God have prevented Joseph from being falsely accused? Sure. Could God have prevented Joseph from being thrown into prison? Absolutely. So there are times I've heard people say, well, I just don't understand, you know, with the old Joe question. Well, if God is so good, why does he allow evil in the world? That's a topic for a whole other sermon, but here's my point. God could have prevented all those things from happening, but you know why he didn't? Real simple answer. It was all a part of his plan. And here's why I want to help some of you this morning. One of the things that will help you get over bitterness and hurt and anger and wanting to take revenge in your life when other people hurt you, and they will, when other people want to harm you, and they do, and they want to leave you holding the bag, and you will be left holding the bag, the one thing that you need to remember that will help you overcome all this anger and all this bitterness is this. I don't care what you do to me. I don't care what you want to do to me. God intends it for my good. God is achieving his plan for my life. Second thing we know God's doing. God is accomplishing his purpose for my life. He's not just achieving his plan for my life. God is accomplishing his purpose for my life. Now, I want you to understand something about God's plan for your life. I believe God has a plan for all of us, okay? But I want you to understand something. That plan wasn't drawn up last night. God didn't just come up with an idea for your life this morning. He's not making it up on the fly. God doesn't have to improvise. God doesn't have to to adjust. God's plan for you and God's plan for me are wrapped around the purpose he had not just for you and not just for me, but the purpose he had for the entire world before the world was even created. So remember this. God's plan is always in accordance with his purpose. God's plan is always in accordance with his purpose. See, here's where you get frustrated. We want God to accomplish our purpose. God's not interested in your purpose. God's interested in his purpose. So God's plan is always in accordance with his purpose. God has a purpose in everything he does. And God only ha- not only has a plan for my life he wants to achieve, 
He's got an even greater purpose he wants to accomplish. That's why God doesn't react when things go wrong in your life. God doesn't react to anything. You know what? God doesn't react to anything. God acts before everything. God already knows what's going to happen. God knew before you were born you'd get cancer. God knew before you were born that spouse would walk out on you. God knew before you were born you'd have financial difficulties. God knew before you were born you'd battle depression. God knew all of that. He's not taken by surprise. It's all in his plan and all in his purpose. And what we're learning is God is funneling everything that happens to you and to me to make sure that at the end of the day, his purpose is accomplished. Now listen, it took Joseph 23 years to finally understand what that purpose was. If you'd said to Joseph, Joseph in that pit, if you said to Joseph in that pit, Joseph, do you believe that this is God's plan for your life? Joseph would have said, yeah, but boy, I sure don't understand the purpose. If you said to Joseph when he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, Joseph, you understand that God will make this a part of his plan for your life? Yeah, but what's the purpose? And if you'd been in that prison for 13 years with Joseph, and during that time you said, Joseph, do you understand that being in this prison for 13 years, even though you don't deserve to be here, evidently is part of God's plan for your life? Yeah, but I mean, What's the purpose? 23 years later, the light comes on. But God intended for good, now watch this, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. All right, wait a minute. So what lives was he referring to? I mean, who needed to be saved? Well, let me take you back and remember the story. Earlier, he said this to his brothers. He said, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now, who was he talking to when he said that? You saw he's talking to his brothers. Well, yeah, but he wasn't just talking to his brothers. He was talking to the seeds of a nation that we now know as Israel. Seeds that needed to be planted so that God's purpose for this world to send a Savior could be fulfilled. You see, there was a seven-year famine. Remember about the famine that they dreamed about? There was a seven-year worldwide famine. And had God not put Joseph in the position of being the prime minister of Egypt so he could plan for that famine and get ready for that famine, his entire family would have starved to death. So here's what we know. If his brothers don't sell Joseph into slavery, he doesn't go to Egypt. If Joseph doesn't go to Egypt, there is no Israel. If there is no Israel, there is no Jesus. If there is no Jesus, there is no salvation for the entire world. Joseph did not know what God was doing. But God knew. You say, Pastor, you know what's frustrating to me? Yeah, I know. You don't have a clue what God's trying to do in your life, do you? No, I don't. That's okay. He does. You're clueless. He's not. God knows exactly what he's doing. And every day on the chessboard of Joseph's life, what was God doing? Moving the pieces. You go here. You go there. This piece goes there. This piece goes there. Why? Because my purpose is going to be accomplished. For example, Joseph, he didn't know when he was in that pit that one day there'd be a worldwide famine. He didn't know that, but God did. He didn't know that that famine could destroy his entire family and wipe out God's purpose for the world. God did. Joseph didn't know that his problems would put him into a position of such power. He could literally save an entire nation, but God did. 
Joseph didn't know that God had to send him to Egypt so ultimately he could save his family, so his family could become the nation of Israel and they could give birth to the Savior of the world. Joseph didn't know any of that, but God did. So let's rewind the tape. God had a purpose for that pit. And God had a purpose for that plantation. And God had a purpose for that prison. It was all so that ultimately Joseph could be put into a palace where he could have the power and the authority to save a family and a nation and a world and you and me. And every time Joseph, listen to this, every time Joseph was put where he didn't want to be, he was right where God wanted him to be. I don't like where I am, Pastor. I get it. I wouldn't like it either, probably. Take my word for it. I could sit here for two hours and never miss a beat and tell you all the times God put me in places I didn't want to be. But no matter where you are, and no matter how badly you don't want to be there, every single time where you, you are not where you want to be, if you're living with God and walking with God and believing God, you are right where God wants you to be. You know why? Because God had a bigger purpose in mind. God had bigger fish to fry than just the momentary difficulties in Joseph's life. God could say to Joseph, Joseph, look, I get it. I'm here. I'm watching. I know you're in the pit. I know it's not fair. I know you're in the plantation. I know that's not fair. I know you're in the prison, and I know that's not fair. But Joseph, I got a bigger purpose. I got a purpose that is far bigger than you. I've got a purpose that includes sparing your family in a seven-year famine. I've got a purpose of bringing them to Egypt so over the next 400 years they would be transformed from a family into a nation because I've got a purpose that that nation will bring birth to a Savior who can bring salvation to the world. So I want you to remember this. You say, I don't always like God's plan for my life. I get it. Neither do I. And sometimes God's plan for my life is to be put in places I don't like. I've been there many times, but remember this. God's plan for you is bigger than you and bigger than your plan for you. God's plan for you is bigger than you and bigger than your plan for you. Things don't happen by coincidence. They happen by providence. And God is simply saying to you, wherever you are in your life right now, I know it's painful. I know it hurts. I know it's not fair. I know it's not right. I know it's not just. I know you've been messed over. I know you've been left holding the bag. I understand that. But I've got a plan, and it's going to work. And I have a purpose, and it's going to be fulfilled. Everything right now, listen, this is why I take so much peace in everything that's going on in our world right now. In one sense, don't misunderstand me, and I hope everybody will vote, and I hope you'll participate in the political process, and I hope you'll, and whoever you vote for, I really mean this. I've, I've told you, I've said this before. I don't have to answer for your vote. You don't have to answer for mine. Vote, you know, vote your conviction. Vote your conscience. But at the end of the day, you know why I'm not going to get too high whoever gets elected or too low and who doesn't get elected? You know why I just, I just don't do that? Because here's what I do know. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter who gets elected. Everything is going according to his plan. And everything is going to achieve his purpose. So I'm good to go either way. That's why you can't make me mad over politics. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Because, listen, ultimately, my eyes not on Washington, D.C. or Hollywood or Wall Street. My eyes on heaven. Because I know there's a God on the throne of the universe that is in charge of my life. He has a plan for me. He's going to achieve. He has a purpose he's going to accomplish. So that's the first, second thing I know God's doing. Here's the third thing. 
God is affirming his promise in my life. God is affirming his promise in my life. Now, let's see where Joseph is right now. Think about this. God has brought Joseph to the top of a mountain. He is at the pinnacle of his professional life. He is the prime minister of Egypt. And just like God told him, just like he dreamed, who's answering to him? His dad's answering to him. His brothers are answering to him. They are all under his authority. And it didn't just happen this way. It had to happen that way. You say, what do you mean it had to happen that way? So you're talking about predestination. No, I'm not talking about predestination. I'm talking about something bigger than that. You say, okay, why did it have to happen that way? Here's why. Because several chapters earlier, we read this about Joseph as he was standing before his brothers. Now watch this. Then he remembered, this is Joseph, then he remembered his dreams about them. Now, if you don't know the story, let me tell you about the dream one more time. It was this dream that God had given to Joseph that all of his brothers and, all, and his father, in fact, an entire nation would bow at his feet, that he would be an authority over all of them. And so you know what God was doing in Joseph's life? He was just keeping his promise. Oh, but it wasn't just a promise to Joseph. You don't know this part of the story, perhaps. Let me tell you this part. Before Joseph was even born, God made a promise to his grandfather. His grandfather was Abraham. Abraham was a nobody from a nothing town. No power, no influence, no wealth, no anything. And God calls Abraham. And he says, Abraham, out of you is going to come a mighty nation. Now, if we had time, we could tell the story really gets funny because Abraham is, he's 90 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. And there's no Viagra. And he's thinking, there's not even a bathtub in the desert. How's this going to happen? With God, all things are possible, right? He said, wow, God makes this promise. Abraham, I'm telling you, you're going to be the father of a great, great nation. Before Joseph's even born, there's this promise to his grandfather. And here's the good news. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. He has a 100% record. He's never broken a promise, and he never will. And God made a promise. And by the way, you know what? When God makes you a promise, it may be even after you're dead and gone and you're in heaven, but God will keep that promise. Because God's not, God's not just in the promise-making business. God is in the promise-keeping business. And everything that happened to Joseph, ultimately, it was because God was keeping his promise. You know, there's not a greater promise in the Bible, in my opinion, than this one. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, here's what I want to tell you. The same God that kept his promise to Abraham will keep his promises to you. The same God that kept his promise to Joseph will keep his promise to you. The same God that makes a promise is the same God that keeps a promise. And the same God that was controlling every part of Joseph's life is controlling ours. He is still in the good grief business. So, call this bad news if you want to, but it's just true, so we may as well admit it. You are going to be treated unfairly. Mark that down. It's going to happen. You are going to experience injustice. 
You are going to be done wrong even when you do what's right. You are going to be left holding the short end of the stick. You're sitting there going, tell me about it. Because that's where I'm sitting right now. Listen to me. The presence of problems never means the absence of God. The presence of problems never means the absence of God. When people, you don't hear anything else and you don't believe anything else I say, please believe and hear this. Listen, this is the one don't miss. Don't miss this statement. When somebody is doing their worst to you, God is doing his best for you. When somebody's doing their worst to you, that's okay. God is doing his best for you. So do you, do you get what I've been saying for the last 25 minutes? Do, do you understand nothing happens to you by random chance? Nothing happens to you because of bad luck. It's not coincidence. It's not the luck of the draw. God is in control. God is sovereign. You know what that means? You are never a victim of your circumstances. You are a victor over your circumstances. Because God says, I got a plan, and it's going to go to plan. I got a purpose, and that purpose is going to be done. And I've got a promise, and I am going to keep it. Listen, God controls everything and everyone. God not only controls the orbit of the planets and the movement of the galaxies and the clock and the moments of your life. He controls everything. He controls your friends. He controls your family. He controls your foes. Now listen, this is the beautiful thing about this story. It's one thing to take what's good and make it better. That's one thing. It's one thing to take what's better and make it best. That's one thing. But God specializes in taking what is bad and making it good. And no matter how much you think it looks like your life is out of control, mark it down. God is in control. So let's replay one more time. What if Joseph's brothers had not been filled with jealousy and hatred? And what if he had never been put in the pit? And what if he had never been sold to those human traffickers? Or what if he hadn't been sold to those human traffickers, but they weren't headed to Egypt, they were headed away from Egypt? What if? Well, then he would have never been sold to Potiphar. Had he not been sold to Potiphar, he would have never encountered the desperate housewife. Had he not encountered the desperate housewife, he would have never gone to prison. Had he not gone to prison, he would have never met the man who would put him in touch with Pharaoh. Had he not met Pharaoh, he would have never interpreted his dream. Had he not interpreted his dream, he would have never become prime minister. If he had not become prime minister, there wouldn't have been an Israel. If there hadn't been an Israel, there wouldn't have been a Jesus. Had there not been a Jesus, there would not be a Christianity. Had there not been Christianity, there wouldn't be the church. Had there not been the church, we wouldn't be here. And because we're, if we were not here and there was no reason to be here, we are all up the creek without the paddle. But God. See, understand, this verse again doesn't say that <laughs> all things are good. Look, divorce isn't good. Adultery is not good. Kidnapping is not good. Cheating and lying and stealing and murder and incest, they're not good. And there are a lot of bad things that are going to go into the puzzle of your life. I'm just telling you right now. But here's what God has promised. God has said, look, 
From the time you're born to the time you die, your life is a puzzle. And all kinds of pieces are going to go into that puzzle. Some of those pieces you'll put there. Some of those pieces other people will put there for you. Some of those pieces you'll like and some of those pieces you won't. But here's what my promise is to you. When the puzzle of your life is totally done and totally complete, it won't spell bad. It will spell good. Because what others intended to harm you, that's all right. I intend for good. And by the way, if you're still not buying what I'm trying to give away, if you still think, oh, this is just kind of a feel-good message, nice try but no cigar, if you still don't, just, I just can't buy into this. Can I just give you the greatest proof of all that I left out? The greatest proof of what I'm telling you is absolutely true is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because listen to this. You know what happened at the cross, right? You understand. When we were doing our worst to God the Son, God was doing his best for us. When we were doing the worst thing that's ever been done to any human being who has ever lived on this planet, God was doing his best for us. What we intended for evil, God intended for good. A Jewish rabbi sent a telegram one time to Albert Einstein. And uh, he, he was in the telegram, he said, Dear Dr. Einstein, I know you're a brilliant man. You have great IQ, blah, 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 blah. He said, I just have a question. He said, Do you believe in God? That was a simple question to Einstein. Do you believe in God? Now, I want you to listen to what Einstein said. Listen to this. Albert Einstein said, I believe in a God who reveals himself in the orderly harmony of what exists, but not in a God who concerns himself with the fates and the actions of human beings. Well, I wish I could tell Dr. Einstein what now he knows too late. Dr. Einstein, that is not the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph of the Bible. The God of the Bible, the God that I love, the God that I serve, the God that I know, the God that I worship, the God that I obey, the God that is the sole focus of my life, that God is intimately involved and completely in, in control of the fates and the actions of every human being in my life as well. As a matter of fact, he is so concerned and he's so involved, he sent his son to die for our sins. What a fantastic God we serve. So, you're going through a lot of grief right now, brother am I ever. Can I let you know a secret, not to go into any details? So am I. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Most of you don't, don't need to know. I'm there with you. I'm right there with you. Grief, heartache, disappointment, wondering why this happened. What, why am I going through this? What did I do? I get it. I'm there. But at the end of the day, I put my head on my pillow, sleep like a baby. Because no matter what others intend for evil, God intends for good. Let's pray together.